If you have a Bible in front of you, I invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, it'll be on the, the screens as well. Let me read for us uh, Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 21. Paul writes to the church, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let me pray. God, again, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, launch into a new series that explores the essential elements of faith here at Trinity, but also for followers of Jesus everywhere. And so as we walk through these next few weeks, I pray that you would stir up our affections towards you and our intentions towards you. I pray that today as we consider the, the whys and hows of our gatherings, that you would remind us of the tremendous privilege that it is to worship you. We pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, I'm excited about these next four weeks here at Trinity as we jump into a series called Church Essentials. And it's going to talk about really the essential pieces of what it means to be the church. And there's actually some really easy language for us to track with through the series. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, what does it mean to be a part of a church? You can remember that in, in, in a lot of ways, it boils down to four things. Gather, go, give, and grow. Four G's, pretty easy. Lots of people work really hard to get these, uh, you know, alliterations or, or, you know, four points with the same letter. So I borrow those and we're going to apply them here. They really roll off the tongue easily too. So maybe we should practice once or twice together. So I'll ask the question. You can answer the question. Hey, what are the essential elements of being a part of a church? Gather, go, oh. Very good. Next week, we're going to do it without the four G's on the screens. And we'll see if you remember by then. Now, of course, there's, there's more than just four words, so each one of those words uh, takes some time. Uh, we'll need to take some time to break it down and sort of refine our language a bit. But just as a, a really quick overview, uh, to gather means to, to be committed to, to gathering together regularly with a church body at one of our, our weekend gatherings. Uh, to go means to, to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of others. It means to, to follow Jesus and help others to do the same. To give means to support the local church with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Uh, to grow, uh, one way to do that is to, to meet regularly with others, uh, to encourage and equip one another in your growing up and your maturing in Christ. And so that's where we're going to go over the next four weeks or so. This morning we want to talk about kind of the, the why and how we gather. And so the hope for today is that we'll somewhat uh, disassemble and describe the parts of what we do when we gather in a service like this. And we're not just doing this so you can have more information in your head and say, okay, well, I guess that makes sense why we, you know, we get together and Sean opens the Bible and then we sing a couple songs and then we do this and that and that. But rather we want to try to connect that information from our heads to our hearts so that we can learn to participate even more fully in our gatherings. I hope that by the end of our time together this morning, we will uh, be able to better articulate our experience of, of, of how we experience Jesus in these gatherings. And I also hope that by describing sort of the nuts and bolts of the weekend gathering, we'll be able to better communicate or explain to a, a friend or neighbor or coworker or whoever the how and why of a church service, making it easier for them to be able to join us on a weekend as well. So that's where we're headed. Does that sound all right for this morning? Okay, thank you, thank you. Now, one of the things that can be tricky about uh, 
being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, going to church on a weekend, is it's kind of a lifetime membership, isn't it? When you sign up to follow Jesus, this, this weekend gathering is kind of part of the deal, it seems. And so when you sign up to be a Christian, it means that there's actually an endless amount of Sunday tea times that you miss, a bunch of, an endless amount of powder days that you have to skip, at least the morning, a bunch of sleep-ins that you sacrifice, and, and when you have maybe a younger family, lazy, slow mornings turned into chaos trying to get out the door. There's also a problem with, with any activity that we repeat over and over again, is that uh, as something becomes maybe routine or just part of the schedule, we can lose the excitement or passion in that thing that we once had. And so even in a gathering uh, this size, we likely have uh, quite a bit of diversity in the time that we've been following Jesus. From uh, many years to maybe, maybe this is your first Sunday as a follower of Jesus here. And maybe even between both of those groups and, and everyone in between, there's many of us who have maybe never taken the time to stop and think why we do what we do. It's just the way we've always done it. Which, I don't really like that phrase. We just do it because we've always done it this way. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, and maybe you're just checking this whole church thing out for the first time, and if that's you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And so the hope is that as, as we unpack some of these things about what it means to, to gather and go and give and grow, it will help you uh, connect with, with why we do what we do, and, and it will help this thing make sense to you as well. So, as we jump in, first and foremost at Trinity, we hold the Bible up as our standard. In fact, as, we've, as elders have started to try and put language to our sort of mission and vision and core values, uh, one of the things that we've said is that the Bible is true and the Bible is the catalyst for life change. And so, any discussion about how we do anything needs to come back and needs to be grounded and founded in how God instructs us in His Word in the Bible. Now, earlier we read from Ephesians 5, so let me make a couple observations there from that text as we continue on about how we might gather and and the way it should look. In verse 18, Paul tells us that being filled with the Spirit is better than being drunk. In verse 19, we see that God's people are told to sing, and when we do sing, it's to come from our heart. Now, sometimes we have to fight for that. It's not easy to always show up and just be, be ready to sing from the heart every time we get together. We'll have to choose it some weeks, and that's okay. He tells us as well that we are to always be giving thanks. And again, that's not always easy, if we're honest. Some parts of our lives are really easy to be thankful for. You know, maybe, maybe a new job, a great cup of coffee, maybe your kids heading back to school full-time on a lovely September morning. But there's other things where it's a lot harder to be thankful, isn't it? Obvious example from our community is a couple of funerals that happened yesterday. Maybe life just doesn't go as planned or as you expected, and it's hard to be thankful in those moments. And then Paul ends that section saying that we as, as church people, as Jesus followers, are supposed to submit to one another out of reverence or, or fear or awe and respect for Jesus. Which means if we apply that to our gathering, that our own personal preferences for, be it music style or teaching style or the way we set up the stage or decor or whatever it is, if I can be candid, they don't really matter that much. Because these gatherings, they're not about you and they're not about me. We're not the point. 
Paul, as he writes for us, is really good at, at, at going after and, and poking at the things that, that need to change and maybe we don't want to change. And so one of the things I see, uh, I think he's trying to do here in this text is make us see that when we gather, ultimately, it's not about us. It's about trying to worship God. It's all about him. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the message of God's love and Jesus' work on the cross. And so everything else is subject to that. And so some of the language we've used around that is that we need to be able to communicate those things as best we can. And so our methods of communication will change, but the message will not. The methods will always change, but the message will not. Because everything we do is about Him. We want to worship Him. We want to make much of Him. We want to expectantly wait to hear from Him as well. Now, it can be really easy at times to to want to take attention away from God and put it on ourselves, especially if you're the one that stands in front of a, you know, a Bible and a text and has to speak or stands behind a music stand and leads in worship. It's easy to try and say, well, I'm up here. Look at me, especially when our our time outside of the church is uh, we're surrounded by a multi-billion dollar industry telling us that the whole world is about you. So enjoy it. So as we gather, it doesn't matter if you're at the front or in the seats, it can be really hard for us to shift gears into this 65 to 75 minute service and put our attention and focus on something else. And so today we're going to look at our liturgy. That word may mean a lot to you, it may mean nothing to you, but typically today what it means is sort of the order of service or the elements of a worship service, the the why and the, the parts of our time. Now, traditionally, it didn't mean just the pieces, the blocks as you go through the checklist, but liturgy meant the work of the people, which really changes things when you take that definition as uh, someone in the role of pastor or leader or staff member. So if we instead take this, the modern uh, definition of, you know, parts of a service and the traditional definition and, and try and fit those together to have an understanding of liturgy, what if we came up with something where everyone is involved? Because again, the goal when we gather here, everything we do is designed to equip us for when we scatter in about an hour or so. So this hour time is to equip us for the other 167 hours of the week. Because everywhere we go, we are in sacred spaces where God has gone first, where the gospel has already gone, is already there. And so we can apply the things we do here in every one of those spaces. And so, thank you. And so if we want to uh, have this, a bit of a realignment of what liturgy is, let me put it this way. That our liturgy is the order in which we gather that informs the way we scatter. Now, maybe you've noticed me using this gather and scatter language a lot lately. Uh, some of the, the guys that I, I read and study and follow use it, and I think it's, I mean, I, I'm a word guy, I'm a picture guy, and so gather and scatter really helps me. So we're going to keep using that. Now, every gathering has a liturgy, whether you have used that word before or not. And a good liturgy, a good order, a good practice will help us see, hear, and experience God's transformative power more clearly than if we were just on our own. A good liturgy acts like a pair of glasses or maybe a zoom lens on a camera that allows you to sort of zoom in and clarify what you're looking at. Similarly, a clunky or a, a, a less thought-out liturgy can distort and distract, much like the scratches on my sunglasses do when I pull them on and I'm trying to look around this little thing right here, right? And so as we gather, we want to be intentional with the elements of our liturgy. 
And so how do we decide what gets included? And if we're about the Bible, what does God say in all of this? What instructions does he give us? There's actually not a whole lot in the New Testament that tells us what to do and how our gathering should look. It's, it's pretty simple what God says, actually. There's a few reasons why we don't have a lot of detailed instruction. The first is that most of our New Testament are actually letters written to churches, so it's assumed that they are already gathering together regularly. The second thing is our, our Sunday gatherings, our regular weekend gatherings, it's not supposed to be the entirety of our life of faith. So let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just how you gather for that time on the weekend. One writer gives this example. Imagine if you went into your house and took all the furniture in your house and shoved it into one room and left everything else empty. Now, is that one room functional at all? No, it's not. Is the rest of the house functional? No, it's not. And so similarly, we can't just show up to a church service once a week or on the national average of 1.7 times a month and say, you know what, that's good enough for me. I'll fill it up until the next one. So this gathering is supposed to anchor our week in Christ, but not be the only uh, time we spend with him during the whole week. And finally, the reason we don't have a ton in the New Testament to say how we should gather is because our gatherings and the instructions are meant to transcend all different times and cultures. So remember, if God is omniscient, he is omniscient, when he inspired the writers to write the text 2,000 years ago, he knew that they would be used for thousands of years going forward and need to be applied to every time and place and culture. And so if you've ever visited a church somewhere else, even across the valley or in the city or, or in another country or whatever else, you've seen that context makes a difference. Culture makes a difference. There are, content, there, there are constants but much of our gatherings are contextualized to that time, that place, that culture, and that is essential. And so really quickly, what are some of the things that should stay the same? First of all, preaching. The Bible tells us that. In Romans 10.17 is an example. Paul writes, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And so throughout the scriptures, we see that God's word is central and should inform our gathering. At, at, at the very least, it'll inform our gathering. But in most cases, it's the content of what we read, preach, sing, pray. The word is there. The second piece is singing. The verses we read in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and elsewhere talk about this. And a couple of quick comments here. Sometimes people think, I know that they're going to do three songs. So if the service starts at 9.15 and the song is about five minutes, I can do the math. And if I show up at 9.35, we're good. So if you think that maybe the music is sort of the appetite before the real deal comes and someone stands up and opens the Bible, a couple things. There are many places in the Bible that say we are commanded to sing. Again, we read one of them this morning. Uh, Paul also writes elsewhere that, that there's some sort of a unique transformation that happens when God's people sing together. There's something about the lifting up of voices that seems to have a, a transformative effect on us. Uh, there's a, a conference that happens every other year in Louisville, and they've just opened registration for it. And so I was, I'm looking at uh, the opportunity to maybe go and be a part of it this year. Uh, and in the, the trailer for the conference, uh, they shot out a video of uh, the years, two years before. Uh, it happens in, a, I think it's like the basketball stadium or something. So this massive stadium, 20,000 people or something, floors full, stands are full, and this camera pans across as every voice in the room sings, How Great Thou Art. Like it's a 30-second clip and you just melt. 
Similarly, we're a little bit less than 20-some thousand here in this room, but, but when you, even standing up front here, uh, over top of the band, which is fantastic, we can hear, I can hear the voices, and it's good. There's something that happens when we sing together. And so if, if we are to be lovers of God's word, we will sing. Uh, a second thing I'll mention, sometimes we feel pretty vulnerable when we sing. And typically, maybe stereotypically, this is more true of men than women. And sometimes maybe our culture suggests uh, wrongly, I would say, that it's not manly to sing or whatever else. But listen, godly men sing. It's part of how we lead ourselves. It's part of how we lead our families. It is a beautiful thing to me from wherever I am in the room when I can hear kids singing the songs that we sing. Right? Like, that's... That's something. If we are parents of kids too, little kids, no question, they're watching us when we tell them by whether we sing or not if the singing is important to us. We could apply this to just showing up on a Sunday in general as well, but that's another sermon that will come later. Uh, As well, we just came through a series on the Psalms, which was, again, remember the hymn book of the Jewish people. And half of the Psalms, uh, 73 of 150 Psalms are written in there, said by David. Uh, The New Testament attributes two more to David. So 75 of 150 are written by David. And the Bible tells us that David wrestled a bear and killed the bear with his bare hands. So again, I'm not sure if I should say this in Canmore because we're kind of all about the bears. But if you go into the mountains and wrestle a bear and kill it with your bare hands, then we can talk about you being too manly to sing in church. Okay? Godly men and godly women sing. The third thing we do is communion. We do here at Trinity on the second Sunday of every month, we do communion together. This gives us a time to remember our need for a savior, to remember Jesus' power over Satan's sin and death. It's an invitation for us to gather at the table together by God as his church family. And this is the only part of our gathering that is restricted or is for for Christians only. Because we believe that taking communion is one way that we we proclaim and confess that Jesus is King and Lord over our lives. Not just another interesting historical figure or good moralistic teacher. And so if you're not there yet, when we do communion, I invite you to just let it pass by. And the last category is the one another's. It's a bit of a catch-all, kind of a miscellaneous category. But as we read the New Testament, we see scattered throughout this great list of one another's. And when I was studying this week, I asked Uncle Google, just how many one another's are there in the New Testament? And he said there are as many as 62 different verses that talk about one another, what we should be doing with and for one another in the New Testament. Some of these are love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, comfort one another. Be humble towards one another. Spur one another on. Greet one another. Sing to one another. Live at peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens. And on and on they go. And so we do try to incorporate these things into our gatherings as well. So there you go. The four big things that are really essential to our gatherings. Preaching, singing, communion, and the catch-all of the one another's. Now, the order we do these things has some significance as well, because our liturgy tells the gospel story. Remember, we're trying to use our gatherings as a template for life throughout the rest of the week. And so, again, here we try to use our gatherings as a way to allow the grand narrative of the gospel to shape our time together. If we take the Bible and look at it as 66 books that are telling one story, then we see that there are four main parts, and you've heard me say these before, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, or new creation. 
Uh, creation piece is that God has made everything out of nothing and has the authority to reign over all things. The fall reminds us that, that we have rebelled against God and uh, we believe that we could do better or maybe he's holding something back from us. The redemption piece is that God sent his son to live the perfect life and die in our place and to redeem or rescue us back to God and covering our sin. And the restoration is that Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom that will ultimately end with a new heaven and a new earth and Jesus crushing the devil and all that he does for one final uh, time. And so everything we do at our gatherings wants to fit these categories and reflect this story. So let me show you how this breaks out uh, really quickly. What's one of the first things we do whenever we gather? Often we, we, we start with announcements, and these could, this is something that we could maybe shift around and put elsewhere as well. We're kind of trying some things. We need to do some announcements because the family needs to, go with, needs to know what's going on in the family. But the big thing we do always to kick off our service is some sort of a call to worship. We use this time to, to call us together and remind ourselves to remember who God is. And we do this because we are a forgetful people. Amen? Amen. If you were to take, not everyone's forgetful. Some of you are like, I'm not forgetful. Why did you say that about me? Depending on your translation, if you went through the Bible to look at all the places the word remember shows up, depending on your translation, you would find the word remember between about 150 and 180 times. We are a forgetful people. This is God telling us as his people to remember him and what he's done. Uh, Bob Coughlin, who's a, a worship leader and teacher, says this, the call to worship is an essential piece because every beginning communicates meaning, sets an atmosphere, and leads people to expect something. And so for us in our gatherings, we try to usually uh, have our call to worship be reading scripture that points us towards who God is, what he's done, and his invitation to us. And often is a bit of a shadow of what's to come as well. This morning, we reminded ourselves of God's name. Right? Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, quick to forgive. So what does it teach us for when we leave? This teaches us, the call to worship teaches us that beginnings matter. So if our gathering is to reflect the rest of our weeks, do we start the rest of our weeks reflecting on God? Do we start with uh, maybe a, a quick prayer or opening up a Bible, or do we pull up our phones and say, okay, who won the game last night or who won the, uh, the F1 race in Italy this morning or whatever else? Do we start new seasons looking for God to be present with us, remembering who he is and what he's done for us in the past? The next element, it, it exists, and I think maybe we've underestimated it or underemphasized it, is there's this, this piece of our services that talk about confession and the assurance of pardon or the assurance of forgiveness. Now, often we will incorporate this into our, into our prayers or into our songs. But again, maybe as we learn as a church as well, we need to emphasize this a little bit more. This is where we take time to remember that we are not God and we do need God. And this is an essential element of the gospel that we don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. And we, we need forgiveness for the ways that we haven't been trusting in God's word or his work. The gospel says that we are, are more loved. This is the kind of the assurance part, that we're more loved than we can ever comprehend, that God's grace over us will always outlast, outrun, and outperform our sin, that we're a mess, but we're God's mess, and he loves us every moment of every messy day. And so it teaches us, when we do this in our gatherings, it teaches us that as we gather, scatter, excuse me, confessing our sins is a normal part of our life, which is not cultural, is it? James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. 
And so we don't need to spend our time in this gathering or outside this gathering pretending we have it all together because Jesus has dealt with the mess in our lives. The next piece of our liturgy, of our time, is this community life. And this is, again, maybe a bit of a catch-all as well. It's hard to sort of pin down how maybe we do this. But when we're together, we do strive to make time in and around our gatherings to to pray together, to bear one another's burdens, to to share a cup of coffee together. One writer has said, there is no healthy spiritual life that can come from just cherry-picking podcasts, reading just the latest Christian bestsellers, or even church-hopping around like you're riding different rides at an amusement park. But real character comes from investing in a local church, and investment takes time. Now, this can get messy because... Sometimes people are the worst, amen? Yeah. Because we're all broken, sinful people, and we all bring our brokenness and our sinfulness to the gatherings. But there's nothing like the local church. And this is a bit of a tangent that I hope that timer back there is not quite right, because <laughs> the way that we've seen the local church rally around Jalisa, the girls, over the last couple weeks or so, is such a beautiful picture of what the church is bearing one another's burdens, serving, loving, caring for. There's nothing like the local church. The local church is, as, as one pastor said, the hope of the world. It's the rescue plan. There's no plan B. Plan A is the local church made to reach out and reach people with the gospel. This community life piece is, is probably actually a better where announcements fit because, again, the, the family needs to know what's going on in the family. It would include greeting times before and after, stories of God working in and through people in the church, as Kirstie shared with us earlier. And it teaches us when we scatter to make time in our lives for real community, where we get to know those around us and actually share something real about our lives together. And again, we're going to see how we can invest more time and focus on this part here at Trinity 2. Thank you. The next piece is uh, the ministry of the word. Again, we believe the Bible is true and it's the catalyst for life change. And so we sit under the teaching of the word. Uh, The songs we sing are largely taken right out of the Bible. Uh, We have a a pool of songs that we try to to limit our leaders to generally so that they become familiar to us. And if we want to add or subtract to that pool, there's a, a questionnaire that I sent to our leaders and said, okay, what is this teaching us? Where is it found in the Bible? How does it reflect the gospel to us? Because there are thousands and thousands of even worship songs. And we don't have time to mess around with prom songs to Jesus. We want to sing the gospel to one another. This is important. We also read scripture at the top and tail of our services. We want this to be the most important thing, focusing on God's word, the most important thing. And so this teaches us that when we scatter, we should keep God's word as, as primary in our lives. Find a way to make it work for us, whether it's in the morning or the evening or at lunch or on coffee breaks or, or you know, scroll through something. Scroll through your Bible app instead of Facebook. This is preaching to myself a little bit here. While you're waiting for an elevator or a bus or some, whatever. I heard one pastor say this, that his wife can tell if he's been out of the word for a day or two. His staff can tell if it's been a couple days. And his church can tell if he has been kind of away from the Bible for more than a week. So if we believe that the Bible is true and is a catalyst for real life change, we need to find a way to be in it every moment, every day. Next, uh, we have a time of response. And this would include where we uh, give financially to support the work of ministry of, and equipping the saints, uh, both locally and around the world. As a church, we support a handful of overseas or, or outside of Trinity missions. 
This reminds us as well that everything we had is, is a gift from God and, and everything we have is on loan to us from Him. And so it teaches us that when we scatter, we should remember that we are a generous people who serve a generous God and we ought to look for opportunities to reflect God's generosity and bless those around us. We also sing when we gather and this fits under a few different of these categories, doesn't it? But we'll, we'll talk about it here. We always as well close our services with a song or two of response. So that's why I've kind of pieced it here in this moment. Let me also just put this out here. It's a lot easier to sing in this one hour gathering if this isn't the only time in your week when you sing. So when you scatter, you got to practice somewhere else. Dust off the hairbrush for the bathroom or the shower or whatever. Uh, load up your a CD or your iPod or your, your Spotify or Apple Music playlist with, with worship music from whatever era you think got it right and belt it out in the car. Put your headphones in when you go for a walk and sing while you're hiking. It keeps those bears away too, so that's a good thing. But practice somewhere else too. Uh, a couple months ago, at the beginning of July, Neil was here and he taught us on worship, so I don't want to spend too much time here. Uh, but he said that it's hard to make a joyful noise if you're standing with your hands in your pockets or your arms crossed and looking grumpy. And Bev calls us out on this, I think, every time that she leads to. But let me encourage us, and I know that I'm guilty of this at times too, that if a song says, we clap to the Lord or I lift my hands, maybe we should not be like this, but actually clap. Or lift our hands. I know this will seem awkward at first. I know it will. But, but the way we posture ourselves affects our heart. And so we, it, it does something. And so music leaders, let me ask you to help us with this. Feel free to stop and maybe restart a song if you feel the need to remind us of this. Is that okay? I'm asking the worship leaders, not the rest of us, because we're all going to say, no, that's not a good idea at all. Don't call me out on this. Now, uh, attached to this, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 reminds us that our worship service are to be orderly, so we don't want these things to kind of breed chaos in our gatherings, but orderly doesn't mean statuesque. One speaker said, when God's kids get together and gather to celebrate what God has done and continues to do in their lives, it should probably feel less like a wax museum and more like a party. So let me encourage us that way. As well, again, one last uh, really quick thing about singing. I don't have a, a, a perfect scripture to back this piece up, but so bear with me here, and you can, you can test this. But I'm convinced that if God is all-powerful and God is good, he has access to the best auto-tune in the universe. And if the Holy Spirit... I do have a verse for this. If the Holy Spirit can interpret our groanings when we pray... I'm certain that God can still delight if we boldly, with everything, belt out our praise and are just a little bit off key. Okay, I think his ears can figure that out still, so belt it out. Finally, the last piece of our service is the benediction. This is a, a place where we remember that God sends us out. That we're not just here to put in time and then go on with the rest of our weeks or go on to the rest the, 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 the secular stuff as we finish our sacred time together. But this reminds us that we are a sent people. We are on a mission. And so we'll end up with a text or a song that sends us out to scatter. It's a verse usually or a prayer of, of blessing that reminds us wherever we go, whenever we go, Jesus is with us. And so as we scatter with Jesus throughout the whole Bow Valley, or one of the beautiful things about a church like Trinity is that we have uh, visitors and friends from all over the world every, on any given Sunday. We scatter around the world when we leave here. We remember that, that Jesus is going with us. 
In the New Testament, the benedictions, these verses we have, usually emphasize Jesus and his name and his work. And so what we can learn from these, again, is that, that we go as sent ones. And whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five minutes, you have something to offer the world, and his name is Jesus. So there you go. The what and the why, a bit of a how we gather. One last thing, maybe uh, for Sunday, on a real practical note, uh, we've been gathering twice on Sunday since January uh, 13th. We did this because we found that, that our room was feeling crowded, and, and we, we recognized that typically when, when the seats in a place, whether it's a church or a movie theater or, or in anything, when they hit up and start to bump up around that 75 to 85% mark, the room feels full. And so we can say from the front as much as we want, hey, invite someone, bring someone to hear this new series, and we look around and say, but the room's full. Where are we going to put them? So we multiplied services to have two at 9, 15, and 11. We wanted to make sure that we had space to invite, that we had space. If we're, if we're saying this is the message of hope to the world, let's have as much space as we can to make sure we can have as many people as we can hearing it. Because as that song uh, said at the beginning, which is too quiet, we'll turn it up. But we want the world to see nobody but Jesus. Now, we've been watching and tracking numbers since then, since we went to two service. And, and right now in the room, we have about 100 chairs. Usually the front uh, 15, 13, 15 or so are empty. So that makes everything else feel a little bit fuller. Uh, I'd invite you to sit up here. I don't usually spit that much. And <clears throat> maybe that's why these are here and you guys are way out there. I'll have to, have to think about that, actually. We have, usually we we set up about 100. We had been setting up about 110 chairs. And since January 13th, there have only been, I think, about four services where we would have all fit in one gathering instead of two. Two of those weekends, we had between six and eight inches of snow Saturday night. So I suspect that kept some people away. Definitely not because of the powder day, but because it was too hard to get here. One of those weekends was July long weekend. And one of them, I'm not sure what the deal was. But typically, we've averaged between 100 and, and up to 141 or 143 uh, on a Sunday. So uh, thanks be to God that he's doing something. His church is growing, and we will continue to make space. And if it means we have two full gatherings and we need to add another th- third, I guess it'd be a fourth because we meet Saturday too, then we'll do that because the message of the gospel is the hope of the world. So let me pray together, and we're going to move to the communion table following that. God, we thank you so much for uh, what you are doing in this place. We thank you uh, that you have given us uh, some instruction on how to gather. We thank you that you have gathered us here this morning. And so I pray, God, that uh, as we even maybe do a little more intellectual exercise of, of why we do these things, that you would remind us that everything we do in these gatherings has significance. It's to inform and equip us to go from this hour or so into the other 160 some hours of the week. It's to equip us when we gather and inform how we scatter as well. God, I pray that you would uh, work in and through us as we do go, as we shift our focus now to the communion table. Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done, uh, that you came to to live the life we couldn't live and and die the death that our sin and rebellion deserves, and that you made this way, being the the once-for-all, once-for-all perfect uh, sacrifice for our sins so that we can be, uh, as we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, grafted into the family of God, adopted as sons of daughters of the creator of the universe. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.